We're going to continue in uh, Corinthians where we left. I'll say First Corinthians chapter ten, um, in verse fourteen, and uh, you know I've entitled this part of the message uh, "Imitate Christ." To imitate Christ. Um, you know, like we talked about earlier, you know, Corinth, it was a port city, it was a worldly city, but, you know, Corinth was a very uh, popular city back in its day. You know, when we think of New York or maybe in L.A. or any of these large cities that we have today, Corinth was a large city for its day. It's funny, though, that Corinth uh, eventually died off. Um, from what I understand or what I remember, um, the industry dried up, literally, I guess, the waterways that they had. It, it is on the isthmus, but they had some waterways that came in, apparently it dried up in the industry with it. Um, you know, that seems to go with anything in our day and age. You know, we put our reliance on something, and then eventually you know, it's gone. Uh, but, you know, it was written by the Apostle Paul, this guy who persecuted the church. Um, but God changed him. And God made him different. I think that that's why, you know, God used him so powerfully is that, you know, he was submitted to God. But the problem with the, the Corinthian church was that the world had crept into the church. You know, like we talked earlier about uh, the different things uh, in the Old Testament, um, immorality and idolatry. And because Corinthian was a very worldly, Corinthians was a very worldly city, um, it really had crept into the church. Um, and I'm sure we can see that even nowadays. I'm not saying necessarily our church or our lives, our lives, but, you know, the church as a whole, there's a lot of very worldly things that go on under the umbrella of Christianity that have crept in and our desire to be relevant or cool or make friends with the world, whatever it is, or maybe we just were never instructed. Um, and it, it's really a sad state, but the Corinthian church was in need of a lot of a correction, um, and they had a lot of sin going on, and that they even praised some of the sin that was going on, like, oh, aren't we tolerant for allowing this to go on in the church? And Paul said, no, no, you're definitely not. Um, but I think that because this letter is so corrective at times and so sharp at times uh, to this church, I think it's very good for instruction. I think that when we read it, we can always walk away and go, okay, this is exactly what God means by it. I don't think there's a lot of wiggle room to get away with things when we when we read Corinthians, as I'm sure you know you guys have known as you've read it. But um, uh, you know, the question I ask, I guess tonight is really, who do we look up to? Who do we look up to? Um, you know, in high school, uh, in the lunchroom, if you guys went to a public school or a school that had a lunchroom, there are always different tables, and you'd sit at a certain table based on what clique or what crew you're in. Um, but this funny thing we used to do in high school is we had a community barbecue plate one year, and the school had this barbecue sauce that we would get because any of the food that they served, it needed something on it. But even when we brought food from home, we'd kind of dip in it, and it was our community barbecue sauce plate. And... Um, I share that for, I don't really know why, but I think it kind of goes in with the nice message that they, we're all going to share in something later. We're all going to commune in something later that's a little more potent than that barbecue sauce. But before we get into the first few verses, let's just uh, pray real quick. Uh, Father, we thank you, Lord, that God, you're good and you're gracious, and that God is, uh, the few of us gather here together, God, you're with us, and God, you're always with us, and I pray that you'd speak to all of us and draw us closer together as family and uh, and uh, in you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Cool, so verse 14 says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge for yourselves what I say. This cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion 
of the blood of Christ, the bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we through many are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. And we'll stop there for now. You know, he says, therefore, you know, well, it's easy for most of us because we were just reading it this morning, but therefore is therefore because Israelites were our examples in the wilderness. They were our examples in the flesh that as their lives were lived out, following God in the age before, really, everyone was free to have his spirit. You know, God poured out his spirit on a few people in the Old Testament that we see, but it wasn't necessarily free to everyone because they were still under the law. The Messiah hadn't come, you know. The veil hadn't been torn yet to the Holy of Holies. So there was this sort of distance. So a lot of things tended to be more physical back in the day. But we see through their example that God is faithful to them and he'll be faithful to us. Um, and he helped us help them escape all temptation and so he'll help, help us escape that temptation as well. And I think sometimes we think that we can kind of play around with sin or maybe we don't have to take dire action to avoid sin maybe we're not necessarily playing with that sin but maybe you know we don't realize the extent that we need to deal with it in our lives um, and Paul says here to, to flee from idolatry he says when it comes to idolatry the only solution is to run away from it and run away fast um, this and, the, and sexual immorality are the two things that we're told to flee. When you find yourself in a situation or in your heart in a place where you begin to, to turn towards other things, we're told to flee. We're told to flee. And it's, it's very easy to say, oh, I don't have to do that, or I can get away with that, or whatever. But that's the solution here. You know, that was what Joseph had to do um, in the Old Testament picture. But things that are attractive or promise what we want or tell us what we want to hear can't really be played around with. You know, there's a lot of people these days that will tell you what you want to hear. You know, the Bible talks about, again, like we talked about false teachers, uh, and people will follow these people because they tell them what they want to hear. The Bible says they have itching ears, their ear itches, and they want it scratched. Um, but we need to flee with that. You know, we can't just say, oh, well, most of what they teach is good, but they have this big glaring issue in their teaching or in their life, and, you know, we need to flee from it because it will, it will affect us. Um, you know, Proverbs 5, 3 through 5 says, For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, and her steps lay hold of hell. You know, why? Well, idolatry takes us from the living God, just as if, you know, a harlot, as Proverbs is talking about, would take you away from your spouse. You know, you're walking down the street, and this person's calling out to you, you know, you can't just hang around that street corner anymore. You know, you need to you need to get off that street corner. You know, and idolatry takes us from the living God. You know, we can't serve God and mammon. We can't do the things God wants us to do and also do the things that the world wants us to do. Um, we're either worshiping God or we're worshiping something else. And sometimes I know, at least for myself, you know, I don't always equate it as that black and white. But I think that the Bible is pretty clear that it is that black and white because... We're made to worship God. And when God created you and me, He created us to worship Him. And so, if we're going to worship at all, if it's not God, it's going to be something else. I mean, look at the world, you know, with concerts and with um, basketball stars or movie stars. We all love to worship things. And that's, well, if we're not worshiping God, we're automatically going to start worshiping something else. Um, but idolatry will steal our wealth, our inheritance, our health, our family, you name it. You know, whatever... 
we we're gonna that this idol is calling for we're gonna sacrifice to to keep following this idol um, you know drug addicts you know workaholics adulterers you know we're gonna be turning to these things and trying to fulfill it and like I shared earlier you know it's like it's a dead idol you know Isaiah talks about the guy goes out in the woods he cuts down a tree <laughs> but after the tree he makes his dinner he makes a little fire makes his dinner the other half he carves himself a little idol and worships the idol but that idol doesn't hear anything that idol doesn't see anything and that idol in fact, is as dumb as this person has become, and dumb by meaning they can't speak, they can't hear, they can't do anything. Um, and that's the same thing when it comes to anything else that we might worship in life. Um, you know, the first instance of idolatry in man um, is in Genesis chapter 3. I'm just going to read a couple verses from this, but you know, Adam and Eve, we all know the story. They were deceived by the serpent. Well, Eve was deceived. Adam knew what was going on, but he let it go on anyway. Maybe Eve was that attractive. And he said, all right, you know, whatever. But after all this happened, after they fell, you know, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? Where are you? And God wasn't, you know, like the parent who lost his kids, but God came to them, it says, every day in the cool day to spend time with them, to have fellowship with them, to hang out with them, you know. Maybe it was kind of like the end of the day now, or the heat's gone and starting to dissipate a little bit. But because they had listened to the devil instead of God, they hid themselves. They began to draw away from that place, and they heard God coming, and they got scared. When before ever were they not running up to God, Daddy, Daddy, I'm glad you're home, you know. But what happened? Idolatry cut them off from God automatically in the beginning. And, and God called to them, Adam, where are you? We meet here every day, Adam. How come you're not here? And God knew, but you know, we, all, you know, we know that God was giving him a chance. But I think above all, the danger with idolatry is that it steals our eternal life. You know, We as Christians believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again. And he alone is God, you know. The triune God, but He alone is God. And so if we worship anyone other than Him, if we think there's any other way to get to heaven than just Jesus, well, not only is it stolen any maybe blessing in our life, but even if our life is good up until the end, like maybe a Mormon who worships a different Jesus and thinks they're going to heaven, well, when they pass away, what? Their eternal life is now stolen from them because they worshiped a false god their entire life. You know, he says... Be wise. Judge for yourselves. Know why we believe what we believe. You know, we don't need to believe why, you know. It's, it's a good thing to know the scripture, but I think for me sometimes when I learn something, I need to know why I'm learning this to understand it, it to make it stick. It's like, well, why am I going to do this thing this certain way at work? Oh, well, I understand why it does it this way now, or why do I have to do this math problem this way, or I understand why I have to do it, so now I understand how I do it. You know, Acts 17, 11 through 12 says, um, These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness, and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. You know, when we search the scriptures... We're going to start believing. You know, it says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So if we start spending time in the Word of God, automatically we're going to start believing. You know, we hear about guys like C.S. Lewis, wrote all these great books, was a great theologian and thinker. Well, he was an atheist at one point. And the scriptures changed him. Or Lee Strobel, 
this guy who is a devout atheist and a reporter, his wife gets saved, starts sharing Jesus with him, and he's like, this is ridiculous, and I'm going to investigate it just to prove how ridiculous it is. And as he investigated me, we know the story, he gets saved. He goes, wait a minute, this is real, God saves him, and now he's an evangelist and writes books, and other people come to the Lord through that, because he investigated the scriptures, and he knew why he believed it wasn't just this blind faith that the world talks about and what says, oh, Christians are, are dumb. Well, maybe some of us are, and I think maybe some of us are dumb practically compared to the way the world does things. I mean, there's some smart people out there who made billions of dollars, and, and I'm not one of them. But, you know, I believe the scriptures and what's coming is coming, and I believe that, and so I'll be better off for eternity. But, you know, I think that if we're going to focus and, and look at communion, you know, communion blesses us. But it also blesses the Lord. You know, when we, when we remember what Jesus did for on the cross, God knows that. God sees that and it pleases Him. You know, it even says that when we speak of Jesus to each other and to others, God hears His name and it pleases Him. It pleases Him. You know, Genesis 3, you know, walking in the cool of the garden, like we talked about, it says that God loves to walk and talk with us. God loves to talk with us, you know. We can pray at home and in our closet or you know our prayer closet and have that quiet time with him and and that's good. But it's also as we're driving down the road, you know, it's also as we're going about our daily business, as we're in Walmart and the person in front of us, you know, whatever. You know, God loves to have that relationship with us. He's not confined to one space or to one location or one position like sometimes we tend to relate to. You know, He wants to have a real relationship with us, and that's. You know, in a sense, what communion all is about is having this close, intimate relationship with us. Uh, and for, in fact, the word communion, I thought this was interesting, I didn't know this before, but the word is koinonia. And if we've been around church a while, maybe we've heard the word koinonia, and that word means fellowship. That means when we get together, and we're hanging out as believers, and we start talking about the things of God, and we start praying for each other, and we start sharing with each other these things, that's fellowship. You know, that's true Christian fellowship. You know, it means fellowship, association, community, communion, joint particip participation, but it can also even be on the intimate level, intimate level of intercourse, intercourse, this fellowship. You know, the share which one has in anything is participation. It's intimacy. You know, it's a gift jointly contributed. You know, you both come together like a potluck and, and bring something to this event. That's what fellowship is. It's two parties in communion. It's God and it's us. We're remembering what He did for us, you know, and there's two parts to communion, which is kind of interesting too, you know, there's the blood or the cup, and I believe that might speak of forgiveness, but there's the body and the bread, and I think that, that might speak of fellowship, that there's this crazy sacrifice that goes on, but that he also walked the earth and took our punishment on him, that we might not only just have this relationship with him and go to heaven one day, that we might, he dwells in us, even, you know, he dwells in our bodies. You know, the Old Testament system provided temporary forgiveness. You know, you went and sacrificed your animals at the temple to provide forgiveness. You leave the temple, sin again, come back next week. And that's why it was very hard for the people who started to believe in Jesus because they'd kick him out of the temple. And the temple is where they had their life and everything going on. It's where they could find that fellowship with God. But it really didn't provide a, a deep, intimate fellowship. You know, it was really... We've done something wrong, let's make everything right with God and let's go back about our business because we're God's people. But just like in the wilderness, the people said, no, we don't want to go up to the mountain. Moses, you go. We'll stay down here. Come back and tell us what God says. You know, there wasn't this close relationship. 
You know, only the high priest could go into um, the Holy of Holies once a year. And even then, he risked death when he did it. They tied a little rope around his leg, and there's a little bell, and if they gave a tug or they didn't hear him shuffling around in there anymore, they pulled him out because, well, there was a problem. There was sin in the camp. There was sin in the nation. And man, I'm thankful that it doesn't work that way anymore, you know? You know, I think we have a lot fewer pastors if if it meant death, if the people were sinning and, you know, I, Tony goes into his office and prays for us and, Tony? Thankfully not, you know? I love that guy, but... You know, the church is one body. It's one body. You know, we all partake of Jesus. It's Him or nothing. You know, whether we've just met formally or whether we're physical family or whether we've known each other for a while, we're all one body. We all believe in the same Jesus. We all have the same Lord. The same Spirit dwells in you and in me and every other believer. So we're one. So communion is its a relationship with God. But I think in a sense it also draws us together as believers when we partake in communion together, when we even just fellowship and talk about the Word together or pray together. It brings a different level in the relationship. Like with Ashley and I, you know, if we go a time without praying together or worshiping together or spending time in the Word, we're still like on the same page, but we just feel distant. And even if we only spend a couple minutes together in the Word and we don't see each other all day, well, there's a different fellowship there. And same thing with my friends and everything too. You know, we must partake of Jesus because it's Him or nothing. You know, we can't just take the bread and drink the juice and, and not realize what it means. You know, and not remember who He is. But communion starts with confession. You know, it's not a bribe. It's not ignorance. It's not a cover-up. It's honesty. It's saying, God, whatever it is that's going on with us, you know, just like if you're hiding something from your spouse or your best friend, you can sit there and maybe have dinner, but maybe there's not a close fellowship. Maybe there's an avoidance of conversation, or maybe you know what it's like. You know what it's like when there's something between you, you know, good or bad or indifferent. You know, the relationship is changed automatically. That's the same with the Lord. And the Lord doesn't want it to be that way. The Lord doesn't want you to be stuck in sin or feel like you can't talk to Him. He's not going to beat us over the head when we say, Lord, I, I did this again, and I know you forgave me five minutes ago for it, but I just did it again, and I know you prayed for me to help me through this. No, the Lord says, no, come to me. I want to forgive you. I want to have that fellowship with you. And yeah, maybe there's some discipline at some point, or maybe, yeah, there's He's got to hold you closer and, and handle things, but... He never wants to never wants us to feel condemned or ashamed in his presence and, and that's what confession is. It's the word is homo legeo. It means to say the same thing about our sin as God does. Not merely just I sinned God, but I sinned, Lord, it's bad, it's what you say it is. You know, because we've all been in a place where maybe we've apologized or been apologized to, but you can tell it just wasn't genuine. You know, yeah, they said they're sorry, and maybe they said they were sorry for the specific sin, but you could tell it wasn't, I'm sorry because it hurt you, you know, or I'm sorry because I just, I know this thing is bad. Let's go on, let's read 18 through 22. Let me get a sip of this coffee here. Verse 18 says, Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifice partakers on the altar? What am I saying then? That an idol is anything? Or what is offered to idols is anything? Rather that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice is sacrificed to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. 
You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? You know, again, the Old Testament observing the outward appearance. You know, regulations and rituals gave a picture of the spiritual. You know, they went through all this rigmarole to bring sacrifices and to wash in the temple, and only the priest could go in, and they'd sacrifice the animal, and they'd have the showbread and, and all the elements in there. And it was a picture of heaven. It was a picture of worshiping God in the spiritual realm through the physical realm. You know, but even despite all these outward things, even in the Old Testament, the, the concept of having a deeper relationship with God is not just a New Testament thing. I mean, obviously we just read Genesis 3, and God wanted a deeper relationship, but we also see Abraham. God showed up at his door and said, Hey, you're going to have a son next year. Or, not next year, but that was someone else. But David said the Holy Spirit dwelled in David. Moses who went up on the mountain and God was there. Elijah, the prophets, you know, these guys in the Old Testament, you know, even the women like um, Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mom, when Mary came, she prophesied. The Holy Spirit filled her. The Holy Spirit filled John the Baptist in her before the day of Pentecost. God was willing to do it, but most people weren't ready for it. You know, but those who got it, they, they got it. They get it. You know, and do we get it? Do we get it? And I think a lot of us here at Calvary do get it. You know, you guys came out at 6 o'clock to hear me talk again about the Bible because you get it. You want to hear the Word no matter who it's coming from. You want to hear the Word, and I do too, because we get it. Our lives are changed because of Jesus, but a lot of people don't get it. A lot of people, and it's okay, but they come on Sundays and they leave right after service, and, you know, I don't know what their week looks like, but I don't know. I, I think that... The more we spend time in His Word, the more we spend time around each other and just hear about what God has for us, I think the more we begin to get it. You know, I've, The Lord's been doing stuff in my life lately, and I'm going, wow, it's really that simple? Stuff that I've struggled with theologically or in my relationship with the Lord or even maybe sin issues? It's really a lot simpler than I've always kind of made it out to be. And I'm sure a few years from now I'll say the same thing about today. You know, I think we all can kind of relate to that. But do we get it? You know, not that we have to be perfect, but that we really want to follow. You know, like this uh, lady who's being baptized shared uh, with us before she was baptized. She's older. You know, she just wants her whole life to be in service to the Lord. You know, she wants, she doesn't want to mess around anymore. She knows it's the end of her, you know, not that she's dying, but, you know, she's older. You know, there's less life left than there was before. And how much God can use that? Someone who's willing, not someone who's perfect, but someone who's willing. Like Isaiah, he comes before God. God brings him in this vision into heaven, and he says, What was me? I'm undone. I've got unclean lips. And the angel comes and touches his lips. And God says, Hey, who's going to go for me? Isaiah goes, I'll go. Two minutes ago, Isaiah's realizing just how dirty he is, and God's going, That's okay. That's what I'm here for. That's what I'm here for. And I think when we get that, we get that. You know? But with an, a relationship with an idol, it doesn't really work that way. Idols expect us to live up to some standard, expect us to conform into, to their image, and that's the danger with idolatry. When we make an idol for ourselves, we begin to look like that idol. We begin to lose our ability to speak. We begin to lose our ability to think, where we can't even go about our daily business unless we've you know, patted the bobblehead on the dashboard of whoever. You know, you get OCD about things, and you get in a prison. Yeah, exactly. Or you start sacrificing things, like they'd sacrifice their children to... These idols in the Old Testament, and we do that today.
you know, through many different forms, not just abortion, but through being a workaholic or certain school systems or things like that, you know? But Paul says here that the idols themselves aren't anything. It's just a block of wood. It's just a block of gold. It's just an ideology. But he also brings in this idea about sacrifice to demons. And I think we kind of get scared of that and we kind of jump over those verses and not want to deal with them. But the reality is that there's a spiritual war going on, that we are on a battleground, that there are demons and angels fighting for us. We read the scripture and we see that. Now, some people take verses like this and they go way off the deep end and say, anytime something goes wrong, it was a demon. Or, you know, that whatever happened and it was a demon. You know, that's, I don't think that's what Paul is saying here. I'm, I think what he's saying is that when we worship these idols, if we're not worshiping God, we're worshiping something. And I'm not going to say that all idolatry is necessarily demonic where there's a demon possessing that idol or in the room when they're doing it. But when you think about it, anything that's going to bring us against away from God is, is of the enemy. So even in just the concept of it, it's demonic. You know, even in just, you look at pop culture and you say, oh, that's, that looks so evil, it must be demonic. Well, it might be demonic in nature. It doesn't necessarily mean that a demon is possessing Beyonce on stage. Maybe. I don't know, maybe. But if that's the case, if there's a spiritual war going on and there are these demonic powers out there, I mean, just look at some of the world religions and the things that they do. Well, that's demonic. You know, let's fly some airplanes into a couple of buildings and kill innocent people. Let's behead someone because they don't believe. Well, that's not demonic. I don't. I don't know what is. You know. Or we hear about all these beheaded chickens or animals showing up on city streets and garbage bags and all this occultic stuff going on because they're sacrificing to idols. You know, Mammon um, was the god of uh, wealth. It was the god of um, basically, you know, money. Um, but there was also interesting uh, when reading up about this. There was the Roman gods dealt with it and there were temple prostitutes there was also drug use that was related to this you know if you go in Ephesus there was these caves in Ephesus where these gases came out of the earth and the the priestesses would go in there and get high and speak these things as if the spirit realm was talking through them that's pretty demonic but we look at this push for marriage equality and not to harp on this issue but society makes it so big so it's kind of hard to pick on anything else when society puts it out there but marriage equality you know what a deceptive term Marriage equality, you know, they're pushing against morality and calling it marriage equality when it's really saying that sin is more important than having a morality. You know, it's not about equality. It's about calling sin not sin, you know, because it's not marriage. So because it's not marriage, because God instituted marriage between a man and a woman, it can't be equal. It's a misnomer. He says, I don't want you to have fellowship with demons. You know, and part of that, if we look back in Corinthians uh, chapter 6, it talks about, you know, do, not, you, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? You know, shall I make them members of a harlot? You know, the same thing with this immorality and idolatry. idolatry. If, if we're members of Christ, if we're the body of Christ, is Christ going to go join himself to the enemy? Would Jesus on earth go down to a brothel? No, in the same way. We shouldn't be joining ourselves to things that are not of God, whether that's a physical relationship where the Bible says don't marry an unbeliever, or whether it's not that we're not to be friends with them, but we shouldn't have this close, uh, bonded relationship with them. Um, or whether it's really in the Old Testament, a lot of the picture that God uses sexuality with is with idolatry. We read Israel was being a harlot, and it wasn't that Israel as a nation was doing anything necessarily, but it was that they started worshiping other gods. And it's really a, a, a similar picture there. 
And again, we always see this picture of sexual morality and idolatry. If you read in Genesis about the Nephilim and this obscure verse about fallen angels coming down and wanting to be with people to create this crazy race that went on there. And I won't get into it because we can get off on it, but there is this correlation between immorality of all kinds and idolatry. You know, and I think the worse idolatry gets, the sacrifices get worse and worse. And the same thing is with sexual immorality. The worse it gets and gets in society, the, the, the stranger it gets, the worse it gets, the more perverse it gets because it's wicked. It's evil. It's not designed for that, you know. And the, it's funny, too, that the darker each of these get, the more interrelated they both get. You know, a lot of these crazy satanic rituals, at least from the little I understand, and I don't want to understand any more than I already do, they're related. There's things that go on that are related. And that's why Paul says the flee. You know, how can we have a relationship with our spouse if we're having a relationship with someone else? And like we said, the answer is we can't. Same thing with the Lord. You know, you can't do both love the Lord and worship demons, you know. It's the Lord's table. We either sit down and eat at God's table or we're sitting down to eat at someone else's table. And the question I ask us is, you know, where do we eat? You know, Proverbs 23, 1-4 says, When you sit down to eat with a ruler, consider carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you are a man given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Do not overwork to be rich because of your own understanding. Cease. You know, are we getting our life out of communion from God? Are we sitting down at His table and getting the food to nourish us? Hey, bro, come on. In. Or are we turning elsewhere for it? We're in First uh, Corinthians ten. And it says here um, about provoking the Lord, provoking the Lord. A lot of times, you maybe when you're growing up on the schoolyard, and maybe when you're on the highway, we see people provoking each other. You know, there is this, it's really crazy because both of them, both of the people have custom plates and I could recite the plates and what cars they have for you. But they were like swerving and trying to hit each other and they cut me off and they cut other people off. And they're trying to get through the toll booth. And I see one of them, I see every day driving like a maniac. And it's like, do I need to call the cops on this person? But they're always provoking each other. And I wanted to like pull up next to them and say, stop playing around and just do it. You know, it's like, just get in that accident and get off the road. But obviously, that's I pray for them and the Lord to keep them safe or wreck their car and they'd be so safe. But we egg those on we want to fight because we think we can beat them. You know, generally, you don't pick a fight with the guy that's bigger than you. You pick a fight with the guy you think you can beat. And Jacob wrestled all night with God. He walked with a limp for the rest of his life because of it. You know, Sodom and Gomorrah, God came down to visit first to see if there was sin going on. And he found it. And it was ultimately destroyed. You know, should we be any different? If God dealt with these people this way in the past, should we get off any different? Are we any different than Jacob or the people in Sodom and Gomorrah? No, we're people just as they are. You know, as verse 15 says, you know, let the scripture speak to us as if we are wise. So even if we're not wise, let's pretend we're wise for a minute and let the Bible speak to us. We need to be wise. So. Let's go on and read 23. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. 
If any of those who do not believe invite you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no question for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you, and for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. You know, Christ fulfilled the law. And in the age of the law, you can eat certain things. The Jewish people couldn't eat shellfish. You know, you couldn't eat a certain kind of animal with a certain kind of hoof. You couldn't boil beef in its mother's milk. You couldn't do all these things. But Jesus Christ fulfilled the law and freed us from it. Now, we'll see a little bit more into that about, well, do we still follow the law or we don't? But we're free from it. We can eat what we want now. In fact, Jesus even gave Peter the vision of those unclean animals coming down on the sheet from heaven. And it was a picture about the Gentiles and about salvations for everybody. But he used this picture of the law that was familiar to everyone. I mean, we all love to eat. We could all probably sit around here and talk for an hour about our favorite foods and then end up going out to eat. You know, it's just natural. We like to eat. That's part of being alive. But he used this picture that, you know, we're free from these dietary laws. You know, and I think people take this verse out of context. They say, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. I say, oh, I can go smoke pot, or I can drink, or I can do... All things are lawful. You know, the law doesn't exist anymore. It's just, it's okay. Well, again, if we rightly divide the, the scriptures that like we talked about this morning, well, what context is this in? This context is in food. This context is in worship. This context isn't in, well... What can we get away with? You know, we've been uh, talking about communion, eating at, at God's table. And that we can either eat at God's table or we can eat at someone else's table, the enemy's table. So, if sin has no place with God, if sin's not found in God and sin's not found in His table, it should have no place in us. We should not give a place to it. We should not pull a seat out for our sinful behavior and say, oh, well, I'm just Irish or... I'm just whatever, and give room for it. No, we should put that chair under and say, like in Forrest Gump, seat's taken. There's no room for it at the, his table. You know, we can extrapolate this freedom to other things, like movies, music, activities. You know, there are good things, and there are better things. You know, there's a lot of movies out there, and I like to watch movies, but there's certain movies I won't watch because there are certain things in them. You know, um... And I won't get into it for, for any reason, but the same thing with music. You know, there, I really don't listen to much secular music. I'll put on a few old classic rock things at work, and it's only if they don't have bad language and it's stuff I listened to when I was little. But there's other things I've listened to here and there, just as kind of like, oh, you know, just trying to look for some tunes just to pass the time while I'm working. And I listen to it for a while, and then it's like, I just can't listen to this anymore. I find it changing my heart. I find it taking me not wanting to listen to worship music or spend time with the Lord. And for me, I just really can't listen to secular music. I can watch a lot of movies, but music I can't do. Others, they can't watch any movies, but they go to all the secular concerts, and it doesn't interfere with their relationship with God. And that's, and that's what, what the deal is here, is that we're free from these regulations. I can't say, in a sense, what's wrong for me is wrong for you. I can't lay a trip on you about these things. You know, can a Christian get a tattoo? Sure, I mean, but... Does Jesus want you to get one? You know, I'll be honest, I've prayed about it. I've prayed about other things like that too, and God's like, no. <laughs> okay, then it's not for me. Now, is it wrong when someone else goes out and get it? gets it? I don't know. It is if God told him not to, but these things that, that don't really matter anymore don't really matter. The things that matter, like, yeah, is it wrong for me to go get high or get drunk? Yeah, the Bible's clear about that. Is the, when the Bible's clear about it, we need to be clear about it, guys. But over these little things that divide us, you know, we can't put trips on each other. 
you know, and the point of that is that we seek each other's well-being. You know, just like if you get invited to go over an unbeliever's house or a friend's house, and this unbeliever is Hindu or something, and they have a Hindu god, and they took the the meat off the Hindu statue, and you know, they grilled it up and they ate it. Go ahead, you know, whatever, eat it. You know, it says don't eat it if they say it's been sacrificed to an idol. But if you don't know what they did in their kitchen, if you don't know what's going on in the back of the Chinese restaurant, and they just bring you out a nice clean piece of food, it's just food. The demon or the idol or whatever went on back there didn't really affect it. He only says, don't eat the ones that you know were offered to idols, not because it's going to hurt you. You know, Jesus said it's not what goes into a man that defiles him. You know, that just gets passed away. But it's what comes out of him because what comes out of us comes out of our hearts. You know? So it's really for their sake because they believe that the idol is real. They worship that idol. And so if they see you as a believer in the true God, eating something that they've worshipped to an idol and they try to, to protect you from it because they know that you have a different religion from them, well then don't for their conscience that they might come to realize that yeah, there is a difference between their idol and your God that you can eat at the table of demons and at the table of the Lord. You know, and I guess since we can eat everything now, let's not spoil it by asking too many questions. Because if we begin to ask questions about what we're eating and where it's coming from, I'm sure we're going to find a whole lot of things that we're disagreeing with. There's all these documentaries out, and it's like, I don't care, whatever. I mean, there's certain places I won't eat. I mean, I'll be honest, I won't go to a certain place to get coffee because I know as a company they support certain things. Now, does that mean that every place is like that? It's the world. I, you know, if I want to escape sin, I'd have to go to another planet, Paul says. You know? But then there'd still be me there, and I'd make this planet a sinful planet. But, you know, so we can't boycott everything. But if you feel like your conscience says, avoid that, then avoid it. Then avoid it. You know? And I love how he says, if you desire to go. It's like, well, believers love to eat. I think most of the time we desire. But if someone is an unbeliever and they invite you to go and... You don't really feel comfortable, don't go. I think it'll do God a disservice. But I encourage you, if you do get invited, go. Pray about it. I've had blessed times been invited over to unbelievers' house or going out to lunch with unbelievers because, hey, it builds a relationship, it builds a bridge. But eating creates this open door for fellowship. You know, like my dad took us out to lunch today, and it was a great time to talk that we probably wouldn't have been able to do just standing around or sitting anywhere. It creates this open door, you know? Again, you know, sometimes we ask questions to put up a wall. Like, I remember when I first got saved, um, if I went out to a restaurant and say, well, these are the beer specials for the night, I'd be like, I don't drink, you know? And I didn't mean it as an offense to them, but it was like, God had just saved me from this crazy life. I didn't want to fall back into it. So I put up these walls, and, and that's good. You know, in a sense, that's good. But there's also a better way. It's like, I don't have to tell the waitress that I don't drink and make her think I'm some weirdo because she drinks. You know, it's... It's not it's not important in that. Now, if she keeps offering it to me, well, it's only three dollars, I'll give you one for free, or if someone offers me one, I'm like, no, you know, I don't drink anymore. That's come up. I've gone out to work parties for, to celebrate things at work or we do things at work to get together and I don't drink. And people always ask and it's great, I get to share. It's like that's it. But I'm not like I don't drink, I'm not gonna hang out with you. It's I'm free from it, it doesn't bother me anymore. I have no interest in it. Or whatever, and may the Lord keep it that way. You know. The point is that we seek each other's well-being. Let's go on these last few verses, 29 through 32, actually, so a little short. But conscience, um, He says, Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? Therefore, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God.
And we'll stop there. I'm sure there's a reason. But being truly spiritual is worrying about someone else's well-being and not your own. You know, the, the Pharisees claimed to be super spiritual, but they only cared about themselves. Like, you know, the, the guy was robbed and on the side of the road, the, the priest and the Levite both kind of crossed over. But it was a Samaritan who they thought was a, a pig and dirty spiritually was the one who helped them. Well, he was the spiritual one. You know, hypocrites claim to love God, but only live to please themselves. You know, sometimes believers will give you grief over things. You know, can't believe you, you do that or you say that or whatever. And, and sometimes it's valid. Sometimes we say things that are offensive or do things that we shouldn't do. And we need to be open to that criticism or that correction. But a lot of times it's like we just argue and judge each other over stuff that doesn't matter. Stuff that, man... We're in a dying world. You know, we've got so many, so many bigger problems, so many bigger fish to fry than that. But Paul says he gave thanks for his food. You know, Jesus did it. Paul did it. It was common practice. You know, praying before a meal, I think it's awesome. It's a witness, but it's also, hey, we can spend an extra little second with God. You know, we get to have a little fellowship with God throughout the day. And we need to do it all to the glory of God. You know, if God can be glorified in what we're doing, Go for it. If God can be glorified by you hanging out with an unbeliever, go for it. But if that situation is only going to lead you to sin, well then, then don't do it. Then don't do it. You know, and I think again, we don't want to be offensive. We don't need to come across as offensive. I don't drink and don't offer me that again because I'm not Christian. Well, <laughs> really? You know, if you have that much trouble with alcohol, order in. Order in. But just because we don't want to be offensive doesn't mean that we don't want to offend people. We want to build those bridges, but from time to time, people just don't want it. I mean, how many times do you offer help to somebody and say, oh, I don't need your help? Or, Well, sometimes people are just going to be offended by the truth. And again, the point of all this is to seek the ultimate profit of others. And what's that? Salvation. The ultimate goal is that this person who doesn't know God would come to know God. And some of us are evangelists and some of us aren't, but all of us are to be witnesses. We're all to be witnesses. You know, we want others to be saved, but if our actions get in the way, what good is that freedom? You know, if my freedom to do something hurts somebody else, causes someone else to stumble, well, it's not worth it. You know, if watching certain kind of movies ends up hurting people, I'll have to give up certain kind of movies. You know, if going to a certain establishment causes other believers to stumble, then I shouldn't have anything to do with it. And Paul takes this step further. He's like, if eating meat causes my brother to stumble, I will never again eat meat. He's, he's not even saying, I'm going to hide meat in my fridge and I'll eat meat when no one's looking because I know there's nothing wrong with that. He says, I'm going to be a vegetarian. I can't, I can't do that. <laughs> did it for two weeks once and it was torture. So let's read, let's read uh, the next two verses. Um, 33, Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. And 11.1, it really fits with this section, uh, I believe. It says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. You know, Paul is an example to follow. We have Old Testament examples. We have New Testament examples. But we can look at a guy like Paul and say, okay, this is a, a practical way to live out my life. We see Jesus as a perfect image and an image of God and someone we need, we need to follow. But having a practical, practical image like Paul really helps, you know. We need to follow Jesus and imitate him and believers that look like him. You know, I've learned a lot about the Christian walk 
some from teachings on the radio, driving to work, some from being in church. But I think a lot of the, the meat and potato stuff of being a Christian I've learned from watching other believers who have lived their life right. Not perfect, not high and mighty, but down to earth, loved Jesus, loved others. And I've looked on and said, okay, that's how you do this life because I don't know how to do it. And that's the way God's made us. We're meant to learn that way. I mean, that's the way kids learn. When they're young, that's, they see what mom and dad do, and they do exactly the same. You don't need to teach them. They learn these things. You know? Are we good examples to imitate? You know, if we really sit back and look at our lives for a second and go, wow, if someone in the church were to see the way I behaved all week, or if I even honestly look at the way I behaved whenever, is that a good example to follow, you know? And the Bible says that a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets up. So it's like if we have messed up in the past, that's okay. How are we walking now? How are we moving forward? You know, I think that that speaks volumes as well. You know, Mark 9.35 says, And he sat down, he called his twelve, and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be the last of all and servant of all. You know, we need to serve each other. You know, we're not to seek out the high position. We're to seek out each other and each other's best interests, you know. And we do that by having fellowship, you know. We can't serve each other's best interests, you know, if our heart relationships aren't right. If there's something between us, well, I can't really serve you or we can't really serve each other until um, that's dealt with.